you're listening to the Down East Mike Podcast, the quirky little podcast from Maine. And now, your host, Down East Mike. Why, good morning, everybody. This is Down East Mike, and you're listening to the Down East Mike Podcast. You've found it. It's the quirky little podcast from Maine. It's the kind of podcast if some fellow was just like gonna all of a sudden put together everything in Maine that is quirky and weird in one place and throw it up in an audio version. This is it. This is that that dusty audio digital shop that you would walk into off Route 1. with your, You'd leave your kids in the car probably to go inside the dimly lit doorway just to check things out before you went in, before you brought the family in. So you'd go in and over behind the counter be that proprietor with an unshaven face looking back at you, a big smile. Maybe he'd have a hat on, a ball cap, and his wife would be, you know, busily tinkering behind the counter like rearranging the bric-a-brac. And you'd say to yourself, is this a place where I want to bring the wife and the kids? And then you'd look out through the grimy window and they'd be out in the car and it's raining, you know, it's another... You know, half an hour to Ellsworth before you can stop at McDonald's. And so then you, you know, you look back at the guy behind the counter. So he said, all right, I'll go get the fam. And you bring him in. And it's not long before they're tugging at your sleeve saying, Daddy, I got to use the restroom. And, and then before you know it, you're friends. And the old guy behind the counter is telling you stories and, then it becomes part of your routine. You go up there every time you go to Maine. You stop into that that little whimsical little Maine shop and rummage around. Maybe you buy like a an old sign that goes in the front of the store or you buy like an old golf club or some bric-a-brac and you take it home. It was stuff that he picked up beside the road. You think you've got a bargain. That's what this is. This is the audio version of it. So uh, today is Ju- June 8th. I had to look at that. Wednesday, June 8th, 2022. Down East Mike, episode number 35, news and commentary. Our motto here is some of this is whimsy, some of this is true, and the interpretation of it all is entirely up to you. In today's episode, we have headlines of the successful spacewalk, June 8th, 1973. Maine says no to pot, June 8th, 1973. They were voting on it back then. Uh, We have a story from 1894. Stolen kisses and pitchforks. And that's one you don't want to miss. Maine's island of interest. That's our new feature. And we're looking at another island today. We're going to do the word of the day. And then we'll get to the headlines. And our word of the day it, I think it's representative of, of the situation we all find ourselves in right now. Our word of the day is boondoggle. B-O-O-N-D-O-G-G-L-E. I think we should start a bluegrass band called it boondoggle. Boondoggle, uh, the definition, uh, it's a braided cord worn by Boy Scouts as a neckerchief slide. I remember that. I think I made it as far as a Weeblo Scout. That Eagle Scout thing is too advanced. 
or a wasteful or impractical project or activity often involving graft. Whoa. The project is a complete boondoggle, over budget, behind schedule, and unnecessary. Other words from boondoggle uh, include, uh, oh no, we're just calling that intransitive verb. Boondoggle started with the scouts. It popped up in the early 1900s and lots of people tried to explain where the word came from. One theory it traced it to the Ozarks word for gadget, while another related it to the Tagalog word which gave us boondocks. Another hypothesis suggests that boondoggle came from the name of leather toys that Daniel Boone supposedly made for his dog. But the only theory that's supported by evidence is much simpler. In the 1920s, Robert Link, who was a scoutmaster for the Boy Scouts, apparently coined the word to name the braided leather cords made and worn by scouts. The word came to prominence when such a boondoggle was presented to the Prince of Wales at the 1929 World Jubilee, and it's been with us ever since. Uh, first use of boondoggle was in 1928. And some of the other words that came out in 1928, Akita, All World, Aplastic Anemia, Athlete's Foot, they didn't have athlete's foot before 1928. Beach Boy. Uh, cheeseburger. Wow. I wonder what they had before then. Cottage Tulip. Crappy. Detail Man. Detainee. Directivity. Those are some of the other words that were popular at the time. Oh, Dime Store. Today we only have dollar stores. Let's take a quick look at our, head, our headlines here. Let's get to those. We'll go looking at the national headlines here. We don't want to get too much into them. Woke San Francisco DA, Chessie Budin loses recall election. The Ukraine says it's holding off the Russian assault in a key eastern city. Matthew McConaughey shows Uvalde victims drawings in emotional White House briefing. There's some primary results from California, Iowa, New Mexico. Um, Trump's former top lawyer is in talks to testify publicly at the January 6th House Committee. Anything else here? Amid ra rising gas prices, Yellen slammed for calling wind and solar critical. Takes tone deaf to a new level. A 10-year-old girl was arrested after police say she fatally shot a woman arguing with her mom. And Russia threatens journalists as America debates the end game in Ukraine. Those are some of the headlines. Oh, NASA is going to launch rockets from Australia's north for scientific studies. Well, that's the kind of story we never see to follow up on. They launch rockets and we never know what they did with them. How about our birthdays today? Happy birthday today to Maddie in Ocala. He, uh, he turns, uh, what, uh, he is 61. Marty served our country overseas, and he spends his days fishing and playing a happy acoustic guitar. Thank you, Marty, for your service to the country. Happy birthday to Wendy of Gray, Maine. Wendy notes that she is one of seven girls, and at one time they all waited tables at the same restaurant in Wyndham. That was a sight to see, serving up fries and, and, and uh, turkey burgers and gravy. 
Uh, our headlines uh, from this day in 1973, the spacewalk by the astronauts, they freed the solar power wing. Two spacewalking Skylab astronauts severed a jagged strip of aluminum debris on Thursday to free a jammed solar power wing and end the energy crisis aboard America's free first space station. If it was only so easy, huh? Successful completion of the risky salvage job was a triumph for Charles P. Conrad and Joseph P. Kerwin. They had given themselves only a 50-50 chance of achieving success there. They worked outside the orbiting research outpost 272 miles above the Earth. They freed the wing and swung it out at 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. There's that wing glimpsing in the sun. The damn jaws aren't open enough, Conrad said, as Kerwin, feet flailing to maintain balance, maneuvered the pole. It's a tricky task accomplished, and he crawled hand over hand 25 feet along Skylab's side and guided the bolt cutter jaws while Kerwin tugged a rope to make the jaws bite through the half-inch strip of metal pinning the wing. That's like down East Mike out cutting down the moss out of the cherry tree. Uh, on this day in, in uh, 1973, the day before actually, House rejected legalizing pot. The main House voted down legislation that would have legalized the use of marijuana in private homes Thursday, but the measure drew surprising support and came closer to, to enactment than most political observers would have predicted. It was a 90-minute debate, 78 to 47 margin. So back in uh, 73, they were fighting over this stuff. Brown said, uh, or Simpson said, he sat down and had a heart-to-heart -heart talk with his children and a young secretary in the state house before he made up his mind on the question. In the end, he decided youthful experimentation with pot is not much more serious or dangerous than past generations of teenagers taking their first illegal drink of alcohol. We'd all hate like heck to see kids get thrown into prison for doing things like we did. If I were 16 or 17, I'd probably be trying pot just like I tried beer and alcohol, the conservative floor leader of the main house declared. 1973. Another article from that time, inflation eroding retirement incomes. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh, in middle America, a retired couple hears the latest government inflation figures, and despairs of long-held dreams for a good life. A. Leroy Woldridge and his wife, Nancy Ruth. That's not a real pretty combination of names. Nancy Ruth sounds more like a chocolate bar. Both 70 live on a small pension, Social Security, and some investment income. They expect to have about 12000 this year. May wholesale prices are up 2%. Uh, the Woodridges calculate that if this rate continues and retail prices go up similarly, their income will be reduced by about 1000 by December. He retired in 1968 from his job as a millwright with a refinery construction firm, and we're just not able to do the things we want to do for fear of what may come in the future. They buy clothes less often. Plans for vacation trips to Brazil and Hawaii have been shelved, and they can't save as much as they would like. Food is one of their biggest problems. They can't take advantage of bulk buying on items like hamburger. A person goes in and buys just one pound and a person really pays through the nose. The same thing applies to everything. The price of gasoline, about 41 cents a gallon for regular, discourages 
comparison shopping. Well, if you wanted to see a movie uh, on this day, 1973, you could see Dustin Hoffman in Straw Dogs. A Clockwork Orange is playing daily at the University Cinema One in Orono. Hitler, The Last Ten Days, that sounds like an uplifting movie. Dirty Harry with Clint Eastwood was popular. Jane Fonda in Clute, I don't know what that is. You could go to Baldacci's restaurant maybe after or before the movie. Baldacci's, the restaurant, the same wonderful people who brought you the $1.25 luncheon buffet, the $2 Italian buffet, and the $2.75 T-bone steak dinner. They present the 35 cent meat pie. Meat filled, served hot, or can be reheated in your oven. I see treasure in that little nugget in your hands, carrying it out to the car. The 30 cent spinach pie, the vegetarian delight. Spinach and spice filled with golden brown crust. Oh, filled, I see. Also, Mideast bread, four loaves for 55 cents. That's from Baldacci's. Then you could go to the Bounty Tavern, Entertainment and Dancing Nightly, Luncheon from 11.30 to 1.30, Fine Dining from 5 to 8.30. So what they're saying there is before 5 and after 8.30, the dining ain't so fine. You could get a Bounty Steak or a Mariner Platter for $1.95. Sounds like a lot of mystery meat going on there. Appearing Nightly, the third estate exciting new group and they were on Emerson Street in Bangor across from the Paul Bunyan statue well that's where the Hollywood slots is now isn't it these are good times okay now that we've soaked up all the ambiance that 1973 has to offer let's look at uh, June 8th 1894 from the Lewiston Evening Journal here's our, our feature story the penalty for kiss stealing Charles Kohlbacher will never steal another kiss from pretty Katrina. This is actually New York. Charles Kohlbacher stole a kiss from Katrina Soler, the pretty German cook at Rettinger's Hotel in Passail, New Jersey. Katrina revenged herself in a manner that was as unique as it was effective. Colbatcher is a jolly young butcher, and one of his duties is to make daily calls at Rettinger's Hotel. By way of recreation on these occasions, he made love to the female employees of the kitchen. I don't think that literally means what they think it, what they were trying to present there. Katrina is the only one who ever objected to his attentions. When he entered the kitchen on Monday, she was busy shelling peas and did not see him. He stole up behind and imprinted a kiss on her pink cheeks. Katrina screamed and jumped to her feet while the bowl of peas was scattered all over the floor. She attempted to box Colbatcher's ears, but he dodged and ran out of the door followed by Katrina. He was only a few feet in front of her when she reached the threshold. She saw a pitchfork and grabbed it and threw it with all her strength after his retreating form. It impaled him in the right leg, two of the prongs sinking deep into his calf. Colbatcher fell to the ground with a groan, and Katrina had womanly pity enough to help him rise and then pull the prongs out of his flesh. There the amenity ceased. Colbatcher limped away 
carrying with him the pitchfork which he said he intended to keep as a memento. His leg is still stiff and so sore that to walk is painful, but he will be all right soon, though he will carry the marks of Katrina's wrath to the end of his days. And don't we have to wonder, did their romance ever blossom beyond that kiss on her pink cheeks and the pitchfork in his calf? From Bath, an aged sailor passes away, William Riley, died suddenly Friday afternoon at his home in Southend Bath. He was 80 years old and passed over half of his life in the United States Navy. He served nearly 40 years in the Naval Service, retiring at the close of the rebellion. He came to Bath about five weeks ago from Randolph, where he lived several years. He was widely known in the Kennebec Valley for his years of uh, naval exploits, his yarns. The Bath police were at work Friday running down a man who was accused of stealing $250 from a machinist employed at Bath Ironworks. The man suspected was seen in Brunswick Thursday night and it's thought he went to Lewiston where he has lived. Here's a key story. A large cancer was removed from the breast of Miss Susan Boeing Friday afternoon at the Bath Alms House. No other details there. On this day in June 8, uh, 1894, Vienna had a hailstorm that paralyzed the city. The storm yesterday lasted 15 minutes. The thermometer dropped from 80 to 60 in that time. Hailstones fell in sheets and the wind blew like a hurricane. No such storm has been known here since 1848. When the storm broke, several hundred artillerymen were drilling on simmering heath. The horses bolted and several men were unseated and the guns passed over their bodies. Three officers and 14 privates were injured. The hailstones choked drains and caused many in the low districts to burst. The stones varied in size between walnuts and eggs, and they lay in masses all over the street. Gangs of men were employed for hours after the storm, uh, shoveling ice into cats and throwing it into the river. The trees on the Prater and the ring strice were terribly damaged. Anyway, big storm in Vienna. Uh, let's see, the Bangor and Aroostook uh, Railroad, there's great activity along the line of the Bangor and Aroostook Railroad from Holton to Presque Isle. All the contracts have been placed and the contractors are moving forward rapidly so that over 1,000 men will be at work within a few days. Isn't that something? It's expected that trains will be running into Presque Isle by the 1st of October. This is an era of great industriousness and uh, so many things being constructed and so much work going on in America. It's expected that trains will be running into Presque Isle 12 miles. Uh, One-fourth the distance is already graded from Holton. There are two quite important bridges to be constructed. Uh, one near the Meduxicake near Holton and the other over the Aroostook River between Presque Isle and, and Caribou. The building of the latter will delay the entrance into Caribou a little later. The stone for abutments and piers will have to be taken from a quarry at Oakdale below Holton. More than 30% uh, more potatoes have been planted by Aroostook County farmers in last year, which means immense acreage uh, that will need to be uh, brought to market. From Portland, uh, as D.J. Randall of Portland was on his way to Hopswell last, uh, last week, his horse suddenly stopped and refused to move. 
Mr. Randall was confident that someone must be standing at the head of his horse, but it was too dark for him to see. In a moment, a man attempted to enter the carriage, but Mr. Randall gave the horse a sharp cut with the whip and had the satisfaction of knowing that he left his unpleasant visitor rolling in the dust behind him. Let's talk about a cabal wedding. Uh, the wedding ceremony among the cabals is interesting because of its comparative resemblance to the customs of the old Greeks and Romans, and even to those which still prevail in sequestered parts of France. Here it is the girl's father who exacts a wedding portion, portion a sum of about eight pounds, for which the bridegroom has generally to rely upon the advances of his friends. Often, too, the young man has not a house for his bride, in which case his friends set to work and build one, no very difficult matter. On the wedding day, the bride is led through the villages in the neighborhood mounted on a mule. Who would not want to be led through the village on a mule? Escorted by friends and relations who shout and fire guns again and again. The various householders hasten forth to offer her a sieve full of beans, nuts, or dried figs. Of these she takes a handful which she kisses and then replaces in the sieve. All the offerings are collected in sacks by the old women of the procession as contributions to the young people's larder. At the bridegroom's house, the girl's hands are washed with liquid butter. Then they give her some fresh eggs, which she breaks on the mule's head and inside the unhappy animal's ears, thereby, it is believed, counteracting any evil designs against her and her husband's happiness. Before entering the house, she drinks milk, fresh and sour, and also water, and scatters over her shoulder a handful of barley, wheat, and salt for the good of the family. It gets better, folks. The husband then approaches her and fires a pistol above her head to signify that thenceforward he has the power of life and death over her. Not infrequently, he makes the symbol even more emphatic by firing into her headdress and setting her aflame. This done, little remains for the youth, except for the youth to lift the lady in his arms and carry her bodily into his house. You have to wonder, is that a little bit made up or is that true? Mr. A.L. Chase of Solomon, Maine was out hunting a few days ago and while watching to get a shot at a crow that was sailing around over his head, he unconsciously pulled the trigger with the rifle pointing to the ground. The ball passed through the doctor's foot, which so shattered the bone as to necess necessitate the amputation of a toe. So don't show shoot at a crow if you have the rifle pointed at your foot. Uh, what do we want to talk about? The death of Taylor Tompkins in Haverhill, Mass. It reached uh, Ellsworth Thursday afternoon news of that. He was an operator in the Western Union Telegraph Office in Haverhill, Mass. at the time of his death. He was born and brought up in Ellsworth. He learned his business in the Western Union Office in Ellsworth and was a very capable young man, being only 20 at the time of his death. His death was due to typhoid fever, and he had been sick only about two weeks. His body will be brought to Ellsworth and services held. Uh, Ines Jordan, she was 16 years old, daughter of Melvin Jordan of Ellsworth, died at her home on School Street Wednesday of consumption, 
typhoid and consumption. There was a lively domestic scene. This is from Downey's Mike's gossip column here. A lively domestic scene at Bar Harbor recently, according to the Bar Harbor record, which says that one Joseph Quartz has been paying some attention to Mrs. Samuel Stover of late. Mr. Stover has had serious objections and has threatened to smash Quartz's head if things continued. One night recently, Mrs. Stover was entertaining Quartz at her home when Stover unexpectedly returned home from a fishing trip and proceeded to smash Quartz's head according to his threat. With a heavy stick, he gave Quartz three terrible blows, laying his scalp open to the bone each time. Stover was arrested, but he was not charged. Uh, the, the court was not uh, disposed to charge him due to the circumstances. Uh, let's see. Uh, from Blanchard, a tramp struck Will Leathers uh, Blanchard over the head with a club for which he was arrested. I think that's about all the news that we can stand from 1894. That was good news, though. Let's look at our main insect of the instant today. Our main insect of the instant today is the June beetle, a June bug, also called the May beetle or June bug. It's one of nearly 300 species of beetles belonging to the widely distributed plant-eating subfamily Scarabidae. Red brown beetles, they commonly appear in the northern hemisphere during warm spring evenings and are attracted to lights. And who hasn't seen a June bug trying to bang at the screen like a big bat trying to get in on a, on a warm spring night? The heavy-bodied June beetles range from half to one inch in size and have shiny wing covers. They feed on foliage and flowers at night, sometimes causing considerable damage. June beetle larvae, called white grubs, are about one inch long and live in the soil. They can destroy crops like corn, grains, potatoes, and strawberries, and they can kill lawns and pastures by severing grasses from their roots. Each female buries about 50 to 200 small pearl-like eggs in the soil. After three years of feeding on plant roots, the larvae pupate emerge as results in late summer and then bury themselves again for the winter. In the spring, the adults emerge once more and feed on available foliage. Adults live less than one year. One year. A natural enemy of the June beetle is the waved light fly. The female fly lays an egg under the beetle's elytra where it hatches and feeds on the beetle, eventually killing it. Small mammals such as moles are known to feed on the grubs and June beetle larvae are considered excellent fish bait. I've never used them to bait. How about our island of interest today? Our island of interest is Buston's Island. Buston's Island down near Freeport, Maine. It's a 138-acre island in Casco Bay. They're about two miles from South Freeport Harbor on the Harrisicket River. The island is within the town of Freeport in the greater Portland region, about one-third of a mile from Flying Point, two-plus miles from South Freeport by boat. It's a small island. It's got a variety of natural habitats ranging from coastline and tidal areas to meadows, uh, different types of woodlands and a variety of wetlands including ponds, marshes, and vernal pools. 
You can only get to by ferry or private boat. There's no paved roads. There are several island-owned utility vehicles and privately-owned construction vehicles. No passenger cars. And let's see, we also have the approximately 117 seasonal cottages have uh, been built on Boston's Island. Uh, been settled for over 200 years. The majority of the cottages are located within 100 yards of the shoreline. Newer cottages, of which a number have been built since 2001, have tended to be constructed further inland. Uh, generally, islanders do not require or covet the usual mainland amenities or infrastructure. Uh, no connection to public utilities, just a little standalone island. Uh, most places rely on household scale solar power on uh, LP gas for refrigeration, cooking, and lighting. And they heat with wood stove because it's not year round there. Buston's Islands, a seasonal summer community, no year round residents. About 120 people there during the summer with a maximum of 500. Well, let's take a look at uh, weather forecast for today, June 8th, and uh, it looks like it's already raining out there. Uh, we can expect showers and thunderstorm possible this morning, chance of showers and thunderstorms this afternoon. It's going to be about a high of 70 degrees. For tonight, patchy fog and more rain tomorrow uh, after 9 a.m. with a high near 65, but Friday, it clears off sunny at a high near 75. That's a day to look forward to. And that is the Down East Mike podcast for today. I hope you and your loved ones have a day that is full of grace, love, and kindness. Until next time, this is Down East Mike saying we'll see ya. Thank you.